0: You're listening to Integration Redesigned, the podcast that unpacks ideas, trends, and topics that directly impact developers and tech professionals. Join us as we learn from experts who are innovating and developing emerging tech with the world's leading brands. Hello, and welcome back to Integration Redesigned, I'm your host, Kate Port, and in this episode, I am joined by product management guru, Matt Anderson. Welcome, Matt.
1: Yeah, thanks. This is great.
0: I love how you self-describe as someone, because I do something similar, uh, as someone who is helping solve problems that should have been solved by now. It's so accurate that that's where product people sit. Uh,
1: Yeah, exactly. I've Struggled with how to phrase that the best way, you know, th- we get a lot of the questions of how you would describe product management at a party and stuff like that. And I've had a go to answer over the years, but I'm, I'm trying this one out now. And I think
0: well, I like it. Yeah, it's yeah. very nice. Um, today's episode is going to be fun because you and I are going to talk about building integrated products and we'll touch on your area of expertise. Retail banking, buy now, pay later. Um, we both share this product background. And one topic that we've talked about on numerous occasions, whether online or in different forums has been the concept of a technical product manager. I like to start here because I think it starts to dive into the role itself and we can, we can then set the stage. But what's your take? I mean, technical product manager, product manager, what's the difference and, and why is, why are those two roles important?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a really good topic. And it's something that I've talked with um people kind of early in their product careers many times. Um, I, I'm somebody that has had almost every title that you can have in product management at this point. So I've actually had all of the titles. And, you know, when I joined product management, technical product manager, you know, it was a, a job title um, and it it was gaining some steam. And actually, product owner as a job title, as a like a official job title that goes on a business card, came later. So technical product manager has been around for a while, and I like to think that um, you know technical product manager is a really valuable you know item for your branding. But um, you know what I think about it is it's an internally facing path. Um, and a person can bounce into uh, like vanilla product management from there, or they can even bounce into management. But if they just kind of continue on that technical product manager path, maybe they start business analyst, then um, you know product owner, then technical product manager, then platform product manager. Very internally focused. Uh, you might not be graded on how well you uh, interface with uh, external parties, that sort of thing, but um, that's kind of the way that I foresee the, the progression, and you know what a technical product manager really like specializes in in my head is they're going to be the person that can read the API docs, and they can take that information and they can probably put that into a user story, a PRD, a PowerPoint, really effectively, um, and and that's really valuable. That's I I love to have somebody like that on my team, and so. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a guy that worked for me and he was a product owner. He had worked his way up from business analyst to product owner. And it was kind of like, well, what's next? What's next for this guy? Cause he's really talented. And I suggested to make him the technical product manager. And when I say the technical, pro- technical product manager, we had 80 product managers in our organization and there was no, there was no technical product manager. There was none. And so I thought it would be good for his brand, and I thought people would listen to him in a different way. Like he—he's going to differentiate himself from other uh, product managers. He won't be a garden variety product manager, is the way that I said it to him. And I think I was right. I think I think it did give him a special superpower a little bit. Um, but he was so good at it that then he got promoted right away. And I don't actually know if it, if everything that I assumed was true, but I think. I think it actually was a really valuable job title to have. And, um, you know, it can really help somebody stand out. There's not that many technical product managers out there compared to the just plain old product managers. And I think it's a special skill.
0: So you said that it helped him to stand out. Do you, do you think that, um, in my experience, the value of technical product managers is to help reduce the noise when you're thinking with the advent of all of these API-led strategies and products that say, well, we have an API, so of course you can use us. It makes it easier for developers because we're saying this is what we want to take advantage of. This is the problem we're trying to solve with this product, and here's how you can leverage it through this API. When you think about that being differentiated with this person's role in particular, why is that necessary?
1: yeah it kind of it kind of depends on your organization a little bit on you know how much technical skill a product manager really needs to have to communicate to engineers. but I think the idea of wearing that hat of talking to engineers of of really you know starting to think about how an api bounces uh, data you know that you find over here into something that you can build over here and being able to kind of follow that path that's special and not every you know VP or director or, or any role uh, can can kind of follow that thread. So it's nice to have somebody with that assignment uh, in case they can and in case they can really help on that. That said, you and I have both read API documents and sometimes it's really almost impossible to follow them, but it's nice to have somebody that might be able to follow most of them and and you'll get kind of a, a nice sense of how, how it might fit into the product line from somebody that's a technical product manager.
0: I think the focus is really helpful there. When we caught up, we talked about how you've had to integrate products together. And at DigiBee, integration is important. And at any business, integration and connection is important to business success as we think about all of the data that businesses and enterprises need to have access to. Can you talk about whether or not you think that it's worthwhile to have this connection?
1: yeah, I, I legitimately do think it's worthwhile, and I'll kind of explain my my point on this. so I, as a product you know person, um my entire career, I've had to integrate with something. and um a lot of times the products that I've overseen, like in their value proposition, you would probably see integration as a word in that or you know, it'd be in all caps, basically, it'd be a very important kind of piece. But even if, even if I didn't, even if I had more of a homegrown, like I'm just making a mobile app, it's not calling to anything else, I, I think it still has value. And and here's the perspective that I have on it is um, you have to think about how solutions justify each other and think about the person, your user, your buyer persona. Um, they might've staked their entire career on picking a solution, an ERP or a banking system, or, or something like that, and it's it's really important that the next solution that they they take um, interacts with the previous solution, and and that it all kind of fits into some kind of ecosystem and reinforces why they had made that decision in the first place to to pick a tool. And so, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, before the pandemic in twenty nineteen um, I went to New York and I was sitting across the table from a customer of mine and they had just been purchased. And, um, you know, I think that there was a little bit of stress because they had been purchased by a very similar company and and that sort of thing. And they're in the, you know, the finance division and they weren't really worried about losing their jobs though. They were actually upset that they were going to have to move from NetSuite and lose all of the scripts and all of the integrations that they had built over the years. So that was really like how they justified their existence was, you know, collecting data from other systems and and mashing it together. So there's a takeaway there that like there's a few people like that at every company, at my company, at your company, and they've got all this data wrapped up in integrations and most of it serves a purpose for them. They've bought a lot of their subsequent solutions Based upon how easily they seem to be to integrate, and so, um, you know, figuring out how to move unique data around via integrations is something that I really like to work on. It's something I, I really you know feel passionate about over the years, and it's because it's an understood value proposition, um, and the industry standards that we are living in are slowly getting higher in how integrations should work and and how much duct tape and and uh, chewing gum and and zip ties you need to have to make an integration work. Um, so you know that's that's kind of a long-winded answer of how I think about it and and why I think it's worthwhile, but I don't think it's just a temporary fad.
0: I don't think so either, especially as we look at the number of products, even if we were to segment by financial services or retail or healthcare or pick an industry, you name it, there's are so many platforms and technologies that are coming out that technologists and leaders are saying, this is great, we want to take advantage of this. But there's also this holding back of, well, we have this technology, how is it held together, duct tape, you know, sticky, whatever it is. Um, and so how do you marry those together? And I think you're right that it's only going to have a higher standard as we go forward. So I, I would absolutely buy into that. Let's go into the the final topic here, which is more tactically what you're working on, which is in retail banking and buy now, pay later. First of all, huge market, gaining a ton of traction globally, great space to be in right now. Um, really interesting with consumers and how individual corporations are handling this, they're two very different products. And I think at the surface, a company may say, well, they seem very similar. So first, let's talk about the differences, and then we'll talk about how product managers might work with them. But what are the differences between the two, retail banking and and buy now, pay later?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, here's kind of how I would think about retail banking um, at the moment. And by by that, I mean, you know, somebody walking into a branch uh, would be the traditional way, walking into a bank branch and deciding, I want to open this product. I want to apply for a loan and talk to a person about applying for that loan, that sort of thing. Um, well, what happened a few years ago? All of a sudden, people stopped going into banks. Um, there, you know, really, even before the pandemic, people were still going into banks uh, uh, on a weekly basis, oftentimes. And that stopped. Um when when we had the you know the last few years so you know i specialized in online account opening and that has a big element of acquisition of conversion of how a bank adds their next customer um and the the bank's need there is to have something that's centered around you know let this person give me their information so that we can open an account for them and then that account might not be the big profit maker. It's the next ten to twenty-five products that you might sell to that person, or you know, over the years, that might be the money maker. And this is especially apparent with businesses. Um, if businesses open accounts, that sort of thing, um, and it's a very addressable space. Um, if you go to bank websites, it's a little messy though, because uh, depending on what the product is that you try to interact with and, and open online, um, the bank might have a solution and they might have a, uh, like a contact us form. Like it, that's, that's still commonplace. And so a lot of banks really haven't solved that product upsells problem, or even like how to onboard a new consumer or business that, that has an account. So the pandemic, you know, helped, kickstart a lot of innovation there. And banks really had to do the online presence um, a lot more. And I think that that's where Buy Now, Pay Later kind of falls in as well, that that innovation on that really started um, around the same time. So it's an evolving space as well. And if you think about what the experience is um, for somebody that is being offered Buy Now, Pay Later, they're probably in the middle of something. So they're probably... On a site considering a purchase of something, or they're on their banking app and they are looking at purchases they've already made, and they're being offered a buy now pay later sort of thing. So, you know, it might be if you think about what the the value proposition is for maybe a bank, it might be a tool to keep the account holder engaged in spending. It might be something that helps them. Um, you know, in the long run, get this um, consumer to be behaving more correctly from a bank's point of view. Um, and and that's especially valuable because that person might never walk into a bank and talk about buy now, pay later. But if you think about it from another point of view, a merchant point of view, well, this might be a thing that like takes an abandoned cart and makes it into a sale. In any event, um, you know, there's there's a lot of variety here and it's an evolving space, but there's I just want to leave it on this. There's also a huge regional component uh, in this as well, because different countries are going to use buy now pay later in different ways. There's different regulations around it, um, and so you know it's it's just a really kind of interesting space. Um, you know, if we if we also take it to like a, you and I talked about Lowe's uh, as an example on some things, and and it's interesting. Like if you think about the process of integrating something like buy now, pay later. Um, If you want to offer that on a Lowe's shopping site, you need to match some data. Uh, So imagine the person is shopping on the Lowe's site, they see some things and they're going to be offered buy now, pay later. Well, there needs to be a match. And where that information lies on whether or not that's eligible for buy now, pay later is probably in a database somewhere else. It's probably being called and that's being that's subject to an integration and if you take it on the other side and you say well maybe if if somebody's in their banking app and it's post-purchase well there you need like a transaction list of things that they've already done and you need to match that against a list of possible you know things that they might be offered so there's a heavy integration you know point of view on the buy now pay later space and um chances are you're looking at different databases and systems to do that match.
0: I think that the decision of who owns that is is critical, right? And so if we take it back to a technical product manager, that's someone who could realistically say, sure, lead product person is saying, we need this. It's going to help drive more business. Technical product manager might say, okay, here's all the data that we need access to. And I think that that's really where the rubber hits the road and the benefit and the value comes in and having those two rules working together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And with, uh, you know, with things like what what we're talking about, where, where it's like an online account opening experience or a buy now pay later experience, there's a certain flow of how information needs to be called from various systems and that technical product manager can also really help with that and figuring out what's the sequence what's the sequence of things that need to happen i need this information up here and i need this information back here you know that sort of thing
0: well matt i think we could go and talk about this and and we'll have to have you back on to go into a bit more detail because this is a very hot topic right now in driving consumer behavior and support so well we'll be sure to have you on in the future um it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I'm sure we'll do uh, another one as uh, we we continue to explore the podcast. Um, so thank you for joining today.
1: Thank you so much. This has been great.
0: Yeah. And thanks you all for uh, joining the podcast today. My name is Kate and this is Integration Redesign. You've been listening to Integration Redesigned. To learn more about how DigiBee can help your team connect and integrate systems at scale, visit digibee.com. Thanks for listening.